Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen welcomes Stan Tatkin for part one of their discussion on looking at attachment theory in couples and romantic relationships. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I'm Karen Doyle Buckwalter, and I'm here joining you from Chaddock, and I'm so excited about the guests that I have today. Uh, All of our listeners, I think, are really going to appreciate what he has to say, but he has a particular area of expertise in looking at attachment theory and interpersonal nerve biology and working with couples and romantic relationships. So who I have for us today is Dr. Stan Tatkin. He is a PsyD and an MFT. He's a clinician. He's a researcher. Uh, He also uh, teaches um, at UCLA and he has a, a particular model which is called PACT, P-A-C-T, which stands for a Psychobiological Approach to Couple Therapy. He also has done work in self and object relations theory in his training in gestalt and psychodrama and family systems therapy. In addition, he was also part of Alan Shore's study group. Maybe some of you have heard of the study group that Alan Shore has that has been going on for a number of years, looking at brain research, brain science, interpersonal neurobiology. It's just like a real think tank and looking at how all of these ideas apply to our clinical practice today. Of particular interest to me is he is also a trained coder of the adult attachment interview, which is a uh, interview that I use and teach about and and like very much. Uh, He has even adapted the adult attachment interview somewhat and come up with something called the partner attachment inventory, which we'll touch on in this podcast. So I look forward to this discussion and I am quite sure it's going to be enjoyable for all of you out there listening. Attachment Theory in Action, a training workshop from the Knowledge Center at Chaddock, supports the work of therapists and clinicians in attachment-based care. This two-day seminar features Karen Doyle Buckwalter and Josh Carlson. Register now for the St. Louis workshop to be held on October 18th and 19th. Visit tkcchaddock.org for additional 2020 dates in Charlotte, Seattle, and Phoenix. Today, I have now with me Dr. Stan Tatkin, and we're getting ready to start this interview. Dr. Tatkin, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you, Karen. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So, um, as I was just sharing before we started, um, a lot of my interest has been in looking at attachment in children and particularly in adoption, foster care arena. Um, And many folks um, in your forefront in this are looking a lot at attachment in romantic relationships. And that's part of what we're going to be talking about today. And I just wanted to see if you could share with listeners a little bit about how you found that path and where you started and how you ended up here where you are. 
Well, um, let's see. I started my mother's belly. No, I don't think you want me to go that far back. <laughs> um, I, I, I grew up in the music industry. And so uh, I was a musician, a professional musician until around 26, 27. And then I went back to school uh, to, uh, uh, to go into psychology. And I never really looked back after that. Um, I went from being trained in, in strategic and structural family systems, working with groups, working with families, to being trained in Gestalt, to being with John Bradshaw for several years and uh, being a lead therapist at his inpatient uh, hospitals, uh, to working a drug and alcohol program for Charter Hospital. I've been really all over the place here. Uh, uh, you know, uh, then became a professor, uh, uh, college professor, and became very interested in uh, child development, infant development, child and adult development. Uh, came across, uh, you know, I'd already uh, been saved. My life, professional life, had already been saved by one of my earliest mentors, uh, James Masterson, and because uh, uh, I was struggling with a uh, uh, dealing with access to. Uh, uh, presentations in the hospital and that was just the staff I'm just kidding um, <laughs> no, no you're not <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so then I got I got into object relations American object relations and uh, and then I started to uh, actually enjoy working with disorders of the self um, uh, I was uh, I became interested in prevention uh, with the Watch, Wait, and Wonder program in Toronto. This, is, uh, this was a, uh, a limited-time program uh, run by the Mirrors, uh, um, intervening with attachment problems, as you know, in these uh, babies. Uh, and uh, I was impressed by the efficacy of just a short time of intervention, how it changed the trajectory for the child, for the infant. So I became very interested in doing that. And I started setting up shop to work uh, with mother-infant pairs, father-infant pairs in my office using uh, video uh, microanalysis of, uh, of movements and voices with video. Um, unfortunately, um, there are not a lot of people who sign up in private practice to come to things like this um, unless you're in a state or a country where it's ordered by the state because of an at-risk mother. Um, it's very hard to get people to voluntarily go in and to do this work. So I, um, I moved into adult pair bonding uh, with, uh, you know, I was impressed with John Gottman's early uh, psychobiological papers and, uh, and started to, uh, recognize a similarity, almost one-to-one -one similarity between marital outcome studies and secure attachment studies, um, uh, infant attachment studies. Um, everything almost the same, save for a big thing, and that's the symmetry, asymmetry issue. So the couples being a, a symmetrical uh, uh, system and uh, parent-child being an asymmetrical system. So uh, I poured myself into working with couples and, again, never looked back. That has been my specialty now for many years, um, <clears throat> using, again, video, digital video for microanalysis of movements, voices, faces, and so on, just to get a sense of 
of you know watching the the, the animals in my room uh, and getting a sense of how they behave and how they interact and so on. Um, my mentor uh, after Masterson, a uh, man named Alan Shore, who's uh, written quite a bit on uh, on right brain development in infancy and um, and attachment, and since other people who have been big influencers in my life, uh, pulling from American and British object relations and so on. So all to say that I started to combine all of my interests and all of the, uh, the areas uh, – uh, and mentorship that I've had uh, into this thing called a psychobiological approach to couple therapy or PACT, which is, is a, a polytheoretical nonlinear approach to working with couples or dyadic systems. Mm-hmm. What that means is we're looking at developmental neuroscience capacity of individuals to uh, interact at rapid speeds uh, on a social emotional level um, more practically how to co-regulate distress states, how to co-regulate and manage excitement states and so on, um, and how well they they do this, um, how effectively they do this as a way to prevent the uh, accruing of threat, biological threat. So we're looking at uh, the threat systems and how that's a causal issue in terms of uh, relationship dissolution, um, attachment being part of it, having to do not with personality, but with, uh, with wired in uh, procedural memory of uh, you know, what it's like to depend on another person and what dangers uh, emerge with the memory of having, to bend, uh, having depended on others before and having had uh, insecure attachment. So, uh, so there's an attachment component looking at how partners move toward and away, um, how they operate uh, in terms of uh, um, uh, seeking uh, approach or seeking attention, uh, proximity, and how well they handle contact maintenance, which is the amount of time they can stay in physical contact with each other. So that's one. The other is uh, arousal regulation, which deals with preparatory systems. Um, how are uh, people not just able to self-regulate distress states, excitement states, right? But how they're able to co-manage this. So this is based on the idea that partners are a co-regulatory team. They're in each other's care by nature of their biology, and that it's far more efficient for them to manage each other than to just simply manage themselves. Mm-hmm. That makes mm-hmm. sense? Yes, absolutely. And so you have varying degrees of capacities there in mixtures yes. that are phenomenological uh, that can you know, be easy or be very difficult for partners. And that's aside from attachment. Um, and then there are deficits, things that people can and cannot do uh, in a pinch that affect the safety and security system. So we're looking at um, at uh, uh, neural networking of social emotional uh, functional areas and how well they perform under stress. 
because that is the problem of people under stress. What will they do? Um, how will they manage um, without going to war, mm-hmm. <laughs> without, without accruing threat, uh, which uh, is often the graveyard for most relationships? Um, so, so in thinking about that, could I ask you a couple questions? Yeah, absolutely. So we know, um, you know, when we're looking at the AAI and in, in comparison yeah. to the strange situation with children, we know that uh, you can have a different um, state of mind or attachment classification depending on the caregiver. But when we look at the adult attachment interview, there somehow becomes some consolidation of that. So you're now looking kind of at an overall way I go into relationships. So I guess what I'm curious about is what you would say about you know, we come into romantic relationships with a state of mind about attachment that was adaptive uh, growing up. And then you, do you see couples where they end up with, with so if, if they're somewhat uh, avoidant or dismissing to use AAI language, then do they end up with someone like that? Do they tend, you know, it's all over the place, I'm sure. Talk to us a little bit about like if you have I'm not sure what the question is. Uh, you mean what? What's what do I see clinically in the office? In yeah, terms of, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. So, like, if if we were going to apply your model, I was just trying to find a way to kind of make it okay. I can picture this. You know, right. say you have a real avoidant partner and a real preoccupied partner, and we're thinking, okay, if I think of these concepts as packed, this is what I need to have in mind right. about these two. So, one thing we have to understand is that attach the attachment model um, has been a little plastic over the years. In the, in, the, uh, in the infant attachment area, the research is very solid. It's been, you know, uh, uh, um, you know uh, I, I don't think anybody really disputes uh, the literature um, over the, the last, uh, you know, 75 years. Um, but in the adult attachment area, it gets a little more dicey. Um, we don't have as much data on this, and part of the problem has to do with complexity and the intersubjectivity of a two-person psychological system in adulthood. So you have the the um, the mother figure um, who predictably is going to, uh, you know, uh, uh, based on her autobiographical narrative, is going to uh, her own attachment orientation organization is going to uh, really bear strongly on the first child, especially first child. Uh, People don't understand that it starts to trail off uh, percentage wise with subsequent children. And that that is really a cool linguistic instrument, right, for predicting. Um, But things start to break down when you have adult partners who are dynamically acting and reacting to each other, and they may not be actually uh, preoccupied, but they're preoccupied in this relationship because they happen to be with somebody who's incredibly dismissing uh, and distancing. Okay. So we have to take that into account. Yes, very helpful. As not, as not uh, speaking so much to the organization of the individual, but the dynamic organization of the system. Yes, Right. So, so some of this stuff starts to break down. Um, we do get dyed in the wool um, insecures who are who would test out as strongly insecure, uh, based on their history, their current status, how they view, uh, you know, their partner, and how they deal with therapy in the moment. Um, there are all these diagnostics that we can do to say, okay, this person really is 
uh, preoccupied or angry, resistant or anxious, ambivalent. This person really is uh, dismissive, distancing, derogating of attachment values, right? Um, uh, because that's their one trick pony. Um, that actually is uh, is a fairly easier thing to deal with in some ways because the more predictable somebody is, the more leverage we have over them, and uh, the more uh, the more we can predict what they're going to do. So that's kind of cool. Um, people have to understand that attachment is not um, is not. Uh, a constant thing. It can be maintained throughout mm -hmm. life, but it's very plastic and affected by the relationship you're in. Uh, if it's a dependency type relationship, it's not personality. Yes. Um, it is simply adaptation to environment, right? We're looking at adaptation to environment. Babies and children have to adapt to the environment they're born into. Um, and and these are strategies for uh, for uh, feeling um, safe and secure, even if the baby or the child is doing the, the 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 bulwark of that task of making him or herself feel safe and secure. Right. Right. Either way, we're dealing with a memory issue. Mm -hmm. um, uh, attachment injuries, at insecure attachment, uh, falls in that area of of uh, of uh, trauma memory. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm in, I know what's going to happen. I know as soon as I invest in you, you're going to drop me. I'm too much. I'm a burden. I'm a pain in the ass. You're going to reject me. You're going to punish me. And I know this so much that it directs my behavior uh, in a way that I don't realize actually uh, can cause the problem. Um, but but I, I have a set of defenses that are organized around protecting myself. And that's really what it is. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And, and people sometimes make a little too much of attachment. It's only about safety and security. It's not about love. It's not about romance. It's not about sex. It's not about eroticism, not about even child rearing. It's about safety and security, um, uh, you know, as, as uh, experienced um, in, uh, in primary attachment relationships. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Good. Now, now we, we, I, th I know you're going to ask this question. We've adapted... Um, the AAI to working with couples, and we call it the Partner Attachment Inventory, PAI. We did this because in the first book, Mary Main was still not on board with clinicians having access to this tool. She didn't like it, um, and for good reason. Uh, researchers are loath to, uh, to uh, want their instrument to be muddled up by people who want to fix things they're still trying to figure out what it is, right? And, uh, and uh, but Mary uh, has come a long way with this. And at that time, she didn't want it to be called an adaptation to the AAI or an alternative. She wanted a separate name, so we did that. The questions that we use are intended to stress the couple. Um, it is an intervention impact. It is not an assessment tool. Very hard to get this across to students. Um, it's not reliable as an assessment. Uh, uh, there are no reliable coders. We're no, we don't have a protocol that is uh, that that can be uh, uh, replicated. Um, so it's an intervention. It's a staging. It's theater. Uh, it's a way to uh, to use the stress of the AI to uh, to drive home an idea that, for instance, the person who's distancing actually has an idea of their life, but no memory of it. Mm -hmm. In other words, the, the PAI depresses them, and we know it's going to, and we're doing it 
to uh, to get a therapeutic alliance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and we're doing uh, this because we have them face to face, eye to eye. We put them into a, a informal trance, and then the questions are asked uh, to one partner while in the eyes of the other, and then the other side. This has an effect of making the couple a couple, of uh, making them each other's confessors, um, of um, uh, building an intimacy between the two of them that even though they had the information, the facts, they didn't quite get it in this manner, where there's a lot more affect. Um, And so that's the set piece. Um, we're setting up a situation that's stressful to prove a point. And of course, there are benefits in the assessment of this, such as coming across an unresolved trauma, right? It's a great way to sweep for unresolved trauma. Um, and, uh, and so in that sense, it's a great uh, information collector. Yes. Does yes. that make sense? Yes. Yes. And and so and you're using an approach completely different from say somebody was working with a couple and they're going to use Mary Main's protocol with one person in an individual session and then they're going to use it with another person in an individual session and then they're going to think about oh what does this mean to each other? You're talking about a totally different thing here. Yeah. If, in my mind, I couldn't care less. It's a waste of time. Uh, by the way, I've I've uh, I have found that it's it's uh, it's easier to assess attachment through movement exercises, movement stress tests, um, than it is a linguistic tool. Um, uh, I don't know which is better or worse, but I'm a clinician, not a researcher, so um, it suits my purpose. In other words, I can, you know, there are certain things somebody who's a distancer cannot do physically because of their distancing defense. There are things that somebody who is a, uh, who is in the clinging area, so we separate these two camps of insecurity and distancing group in the clinging group. Uh, in the clinging group, uh, Ainsworth you know, anxious, ambivalent, or I used to view it when I watched uh, a strange situation, um, angry, resistant. Um, either way, we see these behaviors in the body and we see under stress of, of moving forward together or moving away, um, uh, leaving the room, all these things that we put them under stress with, we uh, started to collect markers that are consistent with attachment organization. That That's is, a far better way, yeah. That is fascinating. Um, I, I'm eager to hear a little more about that. I think this might be a, a good moment for us to just pause for part one of this because we'll have this part one and part two. So we're going to take a break here, folks, and come back and hear more about this aspect of Dr. Tatkin's treatment. This concludes part one of the two-part conversation between Karen Doyle Buckwalter and Stan Tatkin on looking at attachment theory in couples and romantic relationships. Part two will be released on Tuesday, September 17th. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchattock.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchattock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory. Attention.